Hello, my glorious fellow sovereigns, and welcome back to another episode of The Princess and the Bee. I am so excited to be here with you and my guest this week, Michelle Sealer Tucker. Because most of us, when we start a business or we start building our empire, there is no exit plan. Like, we don't begin with the end in mind, like Stephen Covey says, as the second habit of the seven habits of highly effective people. We just start a business because we want freedom, we want peace, we want ease. But one of the ways to achieve this freedom and peace and ease is also by selling your business. And if you aren't setting up your business in a way that you can exit rich from your business, then you're going to be like a lot of baby boomers that I know who are struggling right now to sell a business that's not really a viable entity. Having worked with baby boomers, Gen Xers, and millennials on growing their businesses, building their empire, I can tell you that so many people do not begin with the end in mind. And even if you think, well, this is my passion, this is my purpose, Kim, like I'm never going to sell my business, I will always keep working. Believe me, I feel you, queen, on that one because when you are in your flow and you're in your state and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so my jam, I'm not changing this, like this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, the rest of your life is a pretty freaking long time. And so thinking about, well, what if you were to, just just playing with the idea of what if you were to sell your business? Do you have the proper structure in place, or as Michelle calls it, the six Ps that she talks about in her book, Exit Rich, on how to prepare your business to exit so that should you decide in the future, even if you're not thinking of it now, but should you decide, you can still be set up. This is like a backup plan. This is a contingency plan. This is so you can have options in your future, just like you would set aside, ideally, you're setting aside money into your investment accounts and into your savings so that you have options in your future should you choose not to work. This is also another way to set yourself up for more success, more options, because in my mind, freedom equals having the options to do whatever you desire, whether it's sell your business, stay with your business, continue on with your business, Whatever it is that you decide, this allows you to have options, which equals freedom. And then you just get to exit rich or renegotiate something, but at least you have the structure and the processes in place so that you can. So without further ado, I give you Michelle Sealer Tucker, author of Exit Rich and founder and CEO of Sealer Tucker Incorporated. Welcome to the Princess and the Bee podcast, the place to be to build your empire as queen of your body, business, and life. I'm your host, Kimberly Spencer, founder of crownyourself.com, and I'm an award-winning coach, Amazon best-selling author, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. Each week, I give you the systems, strategies, and success stories to help you master your mindset, communicate with ease, and triple your productivity so you make the income and the impact you deserve. Imagine this podcast as your weekly spark of inspiration as you take it to the next level with all the bees of your life, body, business, bank account, boys and babies. Let's make it rain. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on to The Princess and the Bee. I am so excited to dive into how to exit rich. First of all, the title of your book and your process is amazing because I think most most entrepreneurs, especially when they're starting their business that they feel like is their baby, they feel like it's their purpose, they're not thinking of ever leaving it. And yet the number one thing that I hear from most of my clients is that the reason why they built their business was to have freedom. And so freedom means you're not working a job 24-7 anymore. So mm-hmm. how do you set your business up to, and by a job, yeah, that includes being an employee at your own company. So how do you set your business up so that you can exit rich? So, you know, that's a great question because unfortunately so many business owners are exiting poor. (laughs) 
And, you know, the business landscape has really changed dramatically. It used to be that when I, when I wrote my first book in 2013 called Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth, that really was a blueprint on how to sell your business. And when I did the research, you know, I learned about 95% of startups will go out of business. So within that first one to five years are the most risky. But when I wrote Exit Rich and started doing the research, I learned that the business landscape has actually flip-flopped in the United States. Now it's only 30% of startups will go out of business, only 30%. So those startups, you know, go out there and start up your business. But here's a sterling statistic that most people don't know. Out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses have been in business over 10 years, 70% of them will go out of business or at risk of going out of business. So you see how it flip-flops. So it used to be, if you could be in business past five years, you were golden and your business is going to be around for a very long time. And that's not true. And we hear about the big box, you know, public companies all the time, like Toys R Us in business 75 years goes out of business. Kmart, Strymart, Montgomery Wards, Pier 1, Godiva closing down 1,500 locations. Godiva closing down 1,500 locations. The other one is GNC closing down 900 locations. And Blockbuster went out a long time ago. So, you know, you have to ask yourself, why is this happening? And this is before COVID, by the way. Why are so many businesses that have been in business 10 years or longer going out of business? And why are startups succeeding more than ever before? The main reason... It's because business owners become complacent and they stop doing what I call AIM. AIM is always innovate and market. Always innovate and market. And Blockbuster didn't innovate. Blockbuster saw the writing on the wall. When Netflix came in, they had the opportunity to purchase Netflix and they sat back fat and happy and did nothing. And same thing with Toys R Us. They never innovated in 75 years. They did the same thing for 75 years and wondering why they went out of business. So that's the name of the game is innovation. Also, what Steve Forbes says is true. 80% of businesses won't sell. Eight out of 10 companies will not sell. So how do you build your exit from the beginning? And how do you build a business that's not going to go out of business? <laughs> so let's talk about the exit first. So I call this my GPS exit model. Whenever you want to drive somewhere, the first thing you do is you pull out your phone, you go to Google Maps, and you plug in your destination. Yeah. Well, business owners run their business without any destination in mind, without any end game in mind. So they're driving around in circles, they're driving up and down the financial hills to end up broke, to end up for selling their business for pennies on a dollar, end up closing their business or even worse, filing bankruptcy. So business owners never think about selling their business until internal catastrophic event occurs, which is health issues, you know, divorce, partner dispute, death, COVID. So you don't want to try to sell your business in the middle of a catastrophic event because you're not going to maximize value. Your business is probably trending downward. And the best time to sell is when your business is booming and it's in its prime. So you need to plan the exit from the beginning. <laughs> you need to start your business or buy a business with the end in mind. Figure out your destination. Where do you want to drive this business to? What is your end game? What is your desired sales price? Pick a number. It doesn't matter what the number is. Just pick a number. You know, the start of a plan is to pick something, right? Yep. <laughs> is to start setting these goals and these milestones. So let's say you want to sell for $20 million. Great. It's a number. You might hit it. You might not hit it. But at least you have a start of a plan and now you need to reverse engineer it. So the second thing the GPS exit model needs to know after its destination is it really needs to know where are you starting from? What's your current location? In other words, what's your current valuation? What is your business worth right now? And many business owners never get a valuation on their business. They have no clue what their business is worth. And they certainly don't do it every year. You know, we humans, we go to the doctor to make sure that our heart is ticking and we're still kicking. <laughs> we take our car to the mechanic to make sure that our car is in good shape. But mm -hmm. we never get an annual business evaluation checkup. This is financial suicide. What kind of what people do, they take their business to the doctor when it's sick. Mm -hmm. So when something's wrong versus having that proactive approach. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. I mean, it's just like, when you, if you just only go to the doctor when you're sick and you never go to the doctor for preventive, you know, you can go to the doctor when you're sick and you've had cancer two years and never knew. And now you're about to die in three months. <laughs> so we really need to get that business and evaluation checkup. So if you want to sell for 20 million 
and you know you're worth five million. Now you have a start of a plan. Now you need to know time frame. What mm-hmm. time frame do you want to do that in? So let's say you want to do it in ten years. Great. You want to sell for twenty million dollars. You're worth five million. You want to do that in twenty years. In ten years, who's your buyers? And I say buyers because a lot of sellers come to me and say, "Well, I'm sure I already have the buyer." I can promise you that buyer is probably not going to close on the sale of your business. You're going to put all of your eggs in one buyer's basket and you have no backup buyers. Plus, you're not creating competition. And when you don't create competition, you don't maximize value. So mm-hmm. there's five types of buyers. So if you're trying to sell your business for $20 million, it's not going to be a first-time buyer because they buy smaller companies. It's not going to be a turnaround specialist because they buy distressed assets. So it's going to be a PEG, a private equity group that buys based on platforms and add-ons. Or it's going to be a strategic slash competitor who, by the way, buys synergies and typically will pay more for your business. Or a serial entrepreneur who's industry agnostic and chases cash flow. Then the next thing you need to, to plan your GPS exit model is a, say, okay, well, what are these buyers' financial criteria? Where does the gross revenues have to be to sell for $20 million? The gross profit margin. Most importantly, where does the EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization end up? And to sell for $20 million, you need to have an EBITDA between three to $5 million. And then you need to know, well, what's the synergies? What are the characteristics that these buyers are looking to buy and will pay top dollar for? And then you build that business based upon that financial criteria, based upon what the buyers are looking for, based upon those synergies. And the last step is know your why. If it was easy to sell a $20 million company, I can assure you everyone would be doing it. <laughs> So right. why it has to be powerful enough. It has to keep you in the game. It has to get you motiv- keep you motivated, keep you hungry, and keep you weathering all those financial storms. So you said something that was so powerful about the constant innovation and marketing. And so what, what position does that innovation and marketing play into the strategy of navigating to the destination? Yes, well, if you want to stay in business... The strategy of innovation is is to stay in business so you can get to your destination because so many baby boomers are trying to sell their business right now. And because they haven't innovated, they've lost market share and a business Mm -hmm. won't sell for enough for them to exit because they need so much money to pay off debt, so much money to pay taxes, so much money to pay commissions, so much money for retirement. So they stopped innovating, so they lost market share. So that's why we really specialize in not just selling businesses. We really specialize in buying, fixing, growing, and selling. We help our clients, you know, innovate. We help our clients. I partner with business owners. I've invested my money, my time, my energy, my resources. I've become a partner with many partners. I buy businesses and flip them. But my whole goal is to get these business owners to see things differently and to look at your business as a real asset, not your baby. Yes. <laughs> your concept and your ideas, because you can't keep doing things the way you've always done them because you're going to get, you're not going to get the same results. So innovation is key to staying in business. It really is. So when you look at it, when you're working with a business owner and you see those commonalities of oh, they're treating their business like it's their baby rather than it's their asset. Mm-hmm. What, is the, what is the mindset around that? And how do you work with a business owner or partner with them to shift into that longer game strategy and also allowing them to think of their business as something outside of their own identity? Yeah. So, you know, there's a whole chapter in my book called um, The Best Time to Sell or When and How Should You Sell? And it's all about you know, going through these different strategies and, and I have different exercises in the chapter for my clients to take. Um, but most business owners think that their businesses are baby. They really yeah. do. So I work with my business owners on educating, you know, and a lot of times they want to exit, but the value that they've placed on their business might be $10 million and their EBITDA is $100,000. So nobody's going to pay them $10 million for $100,000. So then I'll ask them, well, how did you come up with that number? And they always say, well, that's what I need to retire on. Or that's what I need to put five girls through college and pay for five girls' weddings or buy another business or whatever the answer might be. But it's based upon what they need, not what the business is worth. So we have a long education process for our clients. 
where we take them through, you know, what I call the mind shift change, you know, help them identify that this is a valuable asset and not your baby, help them figure out what they're going to do next. What's their beginning strategy? Because they will never sell. Like I once sold a manufacturing business as husband and wife. I bought them like four or five LOIs, letter of intent, and it turned down every single one. And every single offer matched the terms and price that they wanted. And I always found something to nitpick. So I, I sat down with them. I said, look, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm taking your business off the market. I can't keep bringing you LOIs and you're not going to take them. I said, you need to take a few months off and figure out what you want to do next. <laughs> and I said, okay. <laughs> so they did. They called me about a month later and they said, we want to, we want to open up a B&B or start, or start a B&B. That's what we were passionate about when we were kids. And they've been together forever. They're high school sweethearts. And they said, we just, you know, got busy with our business and we forgot about what we like to do. We forgot about what we were once passionate about because you get so involved in your company and your family and you really forget about what your hot buns are, what makes you tick, what, you know, get your juices flowing, uh, flowing what excites you. And they wanted to do a B&B. So it really is a mindset and we really have to take sellers through this process of not just deciding when to sell, and what they're going to do next and what, how much money they need to live on and take them through the seller sanity check and everything else. Then we also have to take them through the mindset of, look, you really haven't built a business that anybody wants to buy. You haven't planned for your exit. Therefore, you haven't built your business on the infrastructure. And then we take them through what I call the six Ps. So what are the six Ps? So the first P, probably, I always say every P is important because every P is my baby. <laughs> but one of the most important P's is people. Because one of them, okay, number one reason businesses don't sell, I'm, I'm sorry, sellers don't plan their exit. They don't think about selling until they have to. And they've never, they did not build a business that a buyer wants to buy. That's number one. Number two, the business is dependent upon the owner. Yes. And the business owners have created a, a glorified job in which they go to work for two versus a business actually works for them. So they quit their job because they don't want to work, you know, 12 hours a day, but now they're working 16 hours a day. And so number one is people. You don't build a business, you build people and people build the business. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the biggest difference between clients that I've worked with who have seven and multi-seven and even, even eight figure businesses is the ones who have built the larger scale businesses, they have learned to replace themselves as fast as possible, build the systems necessary for that infrastructure and remove themselves from many of the day-to-day -day processes that so many business owners get caught up in where they feel like, oh, that's something that I really need to be doing versus that's something that could be handled just as well by somebody else. Yes, because business owners are control freaks. Entrepreneurs are control freaks. And they have the mentality that if I want it done right, I have to do it myself. Well, that can't be further from the truth because entrepreneurs have strengths, strengths and weaknesses. And they really need to focus on their strengths, how their weaknesses. And they need to have the right people in the right positions. And most importantly, they have to ask the who question. Who opens the doors? Who handles customer service? Who handles legal? Who handles you know, transportation, logistics, environmental, et cetera. The list goes on and on. And everybody listening to this podcast right now should write down all the tasks in your company and assign a name to it. Because here's a clue. If you're next to the who, then you don't have a business that can operate without you. Therefore, it's not sellable. Mm -hmm. So that's number one is people. And if you're trying to sell for $20 million, you need a layer of management, right? So the second P, very important too, and this P has been devastated by COVID. The second P is product. That's your product, that's your service, that's your industry. So you have mm -hmm. to ask yourself, is your product, your industry on the way up, on the way out? Is it thriving or dying? Do you have an Amazon and you're in the prime of your game? Or do you have a blockbuster and you're about to go bust? So a lot of industries that were dying before COVID are now thriving and vice versa. You know, a lot of industries are dying. And if you're in a dying industry, a few things you need to do. Number one, you have to diversify. You have to have multiple streams of revenue. One of the reasons our restaurants are in the trouble that they're in, in many industries, is because all their eggs are in that one basket and they have maybe a month or two of working capital. So you need to diversify. There, even in the restaurant business, there's lots of other ways to generate income. 
and you should have a year's worth of working capital. So if you're in a product that's, that's going bust, then you need to pivot and you need to ask yourself three questions. And these are very important questions. Amazon did this back in the 90s. They asked themselves, what business are we in? And I said, we're in a book selling business. We sell books. And then they asked themselves, what do we do really, really well? And I said, gosh, we do fulfillment really well. In fact, better than anybody. And I said, well, gosh, what business should we be in? Ding, 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 fulfillment. <laughs> so those three questions alone transformed Amazon from a small bookseller to a multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. So that's, you know, Kimberly, is when you get out of the transactional and you get into transformational. Because transactional, yeah. you're just putting out fires. You're just doing a daily task, daily task, grinding, 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 and not really thinking. And real change comes from asking the right questions and really thinking and meditating on it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Th those are two of my favorite questions to ask my clients is what is the business that they're in? And it's so interesting hearing their answers, like, because I've gotten everything from like soap maker and doctor and this. I'm like, well, what is the business that you're really in? What is it that you really do that is different than anybody else out there? And when you mm -hmm. can answer that question, it changes the game for the mindset of how you perceive your product and your service. And also what products and services you can innovate and provide. What because, business should you be in? Yeah, because that, that's, those second and third questions are a chunked up, more zoomed out lens of possibility. Because if you think, mm -hmm. oh, I'm just in the business of books, mm -hmm. or I'm just in the business of soaps, and suddenly people stop taking showers for some reason, like they, they will, they're, they're, you're going to hit a bottleneck versus I'm in the business of organic skincare. Well, that changes the game. Or if you take it even a step further into like, what is the business that you're really in? And the business that you're really in is the business of, of transforming the conversation of health. Well, you're not just limited to soaps there. You can innovate across the board in every mm -hmm. different avenue from food to, you know, personal hygiene products to household products. It allows you a lot more space to innovate, to be able to play with a greater chunked up vision than mm -hmm. a, than a very narrow vision of like, oh, I just do soaps or I just do books like Amazon versus I do yeah. fulfillment. But a lot of times people stop right there and they don't go to that third question. And that third question is the most important question. <laughs> what business should you be in? Because I mean, it's kind of like McDonald's, you know, they started out in a hamburger business, Ray Kroc started out in a hamburger business. And then, you know, the guy, I don't, did you ever see the movie, The Founder? Oh, I did. I did. The best movie yeah. ever, right? Ray Kroc is in the bank trying to borrow money. He's already borrowed money against his home. And he was upside down because uh, the franchisees weren't paying him. And then the gentleman followed him out of the bank and he said, can I ask you a question? And Ray's like, sure. He goes, I just happened to overhear your conversation. He says, what business are you in? And Ray said, I'm in the restaurant business. He said, no, what business are you really in? And Ray's like, I'm in the restaurant business. Do you remember that? Ray was so frustrated. Yep, yep. And, then, and then the guy says, you need to be the business you should be in is real estate. You need to be in the real estate business. You need to buy up the land, build the buildings, lease them to the franchisees, start McDonald's real estate corporate, you know, corporate royalty or whatever. And when the franchisees are not compliant and they're not paying you, then you avoid the franchise agreement and put another franchise franchisee in there. Those two questions from that gentleman that followed him out of the bank is why McDonald's is the largest real estate holding company in the world. And also why Ray Kroc was able to get leverage and take McDonald's away from the McDonald brothers. <laughs> so those are three powerful questions. And if more people would really, you know, spend some time on those, they could really pivot and transform their business. Yeah. So what you can give us an example of that innovation where somebody found out that they, maybe it was a client of yours or just a similar story where someone was in a business that they thought was the thing and they had to pivot into that business that they're really in. Cause I think with giving some examples, like just like what you did with uh, McDonald's, giving those examples, cause sometimes it's not even in the same industry. Like mm -hmm. McDonald's thought it was in the restaurant industry. It was really in the real estate industry. So how can business owners shift their mindset so that they're actually pivoting to what the industry is that they're actually in? Yeah, it's, you know, you have to really look at, you know, there's a, a graphics company that I'm a partner with that actually called me to sell them. This was a few months ago, a few years ago. 
and they, they weren't sellable. <laughs> they weren't sellable because it was husband and wife and one employee and they were working out of the garage. And, but they have a great business. It's, it's a niche. They, they do graphics for first responders and, you know, it's a great company now there, you know, I partnered with them, invested money, put them into a 5,000, 6,000 square foot space with hard employees, hard a management team. And now they actually have a business, but you know, we've asked this question, what business should we be in? What business, uh, what do we do really well? And what should we transform into? And it might not even be a product shift. It can be a customer shift. Ooh. So for us, we're like, you know, 80% of our business is installs where we have to install the graphics, but the uninstalled market is profitable, more profitable, and you don't have to deal with all the personnel, employee issues around, you know, issues surrounded about around employees and have installers. Not to say we'll ever get away from that, but it's a shift saying this is much more profitable, a lot less headache, <laughs> and can really cowboat the company to the next level. So it's not always a business shift. It could be a customer shift. It could be, you know, install product versus uninstall product. So you really have to look at your business as a whole and take yourself through, you know, the products, the people, your customer base, et cetera, and figure out what areas can you pivot it. It sounds you like know? you did almost an 80-20. Have you looked at the, the 20% that was really producing the 80% of the revenue and also had the least amount of headache? Right. So really following into that Pareto's principle. Right. Exactly. So that's why, you know, you really got to look at, at your business as a whole and not just one aspect of it. You know, Ray Kroc would have never thought about buying a real estate and leasing it back to the franchisees. That's why I always say it takes an outsider's perspective. It's hard to read the bottle from the, it's hard to read the label from the inside of the bottle. You need an outsider's perspective to read the, the warning signs for you and keep you out of the danger zone. Because if Ray Kroc never met him, he probably wouldn't have done what he did with McDonald's. Yeah, if Amazon and, and, didn't ask those three questions, they wouldn't transform Amazon to what it is today. And same with that outside perspective that that banker brought to Ray Kroc. Mm -hmm. Ray Kroc brought that outside perspective to the McDonald's brothers, and it was a different conversation that one could not see. So being able to to have like that's the power of having somebody who is like a coach or a consultant mm -hmm. working to see the whole all the players on the field that can really help you navigate those blind spots that you can't see because you're in the game. Right. Well, I always say when you're in your fog, it's foggy. <laughs> That's a great one, Michelle. I love oh, that one. I always say that. <laughs> when you're in the fog, it's foggy. It's foggy. <laughs> common sense is not always common practice, but that, that is a good one. I always so, say common sense is not as common as it once was. <laughs> yeah. So what are some of the, the biggest profit mistakes? I know a lot of my clients right now, like they've got the steady stream of income coming in. They started to establish that. But once you've started, started to establish that steady stream of income from going from nothing to having some income, what are the biggest profit mistakes that you see people making? So establish a steady stream of income is good and going after sales is good because that's what most business owners do. Most entrepreneurs focus on sales, 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 get money coming in. But the profit mistakes really come from not building that solid infrastructure to begin with. If you don't have the people, if you don't have the right people in the right spot, then you, if you don't have somebody else doing the who, the right people doing the who, then you're going to lose money. You're going to lose clients. You're going to lose money. You're going to lose market share. You're not going to create happy customer experiences. Same thing with product. You know, if you're in a dying industry, not a thriving industry, and you haven't asked these questions, you haven't transformed your business, you haven't pivoted, then you're going to lose money. Same thing with processes. Processes is number three. You know, and the problem with processes is most business owners never think about processes. It's kind of like exit strategy. They don't think about exit till something bad happens. And same yep. thing with, with, with processes, you know, we're selling a manufacturing company and an employee got hit, hurt on the company floor, catastrophic event actually. And the owner says to me, we need a process for health and safety. And I'm like, yeah, you needed that before. <laughs> You don't need, now it's a little late. You know? So yep. you really do need to design your processes from the beginning of starting or buying your company. 
And you should design your processes with, and most owners get this wrong. This is why this is so important. Design your processes with the customer experience in mind, not with your own agenda. Mm-hmm. Now, let me explain that. Okay, you watched the movie, The Founder, right? Back in the 40s, they had the Sonic type drive up restaurants, right? The food was always cold, the order was always wrong, and it took too long. So McDonald Brothers, not Ray Kroc, McDonald Brothers said, we're going to build a fast food restaurant around this customer experience. We want our customers to experience great taste in food, hot, fast, two minutes or less. How do we figure that out? They took all their employees to the empty tennis courts. Do you remember that? And they drew the processes out on the tennis courts and they erased it and they were all bumping into each other. They did this all day until they figured out who takes the order, who toasts the bun, who puts the burgers on the bun, the pickles on the bun and gives it to the client two minutes or less. They designed their processes back in the 40s. It's been tweaked along the way, but that's why you can eat at a McDonald's in Australia, America, anywhere in the world and get the same experience. They never said it's going to be healthy or organic. <laughs> so it's going to yes. taste good. Yes. It's going to be hot. And it's going to be two minutes or less. So have you ever been on the phone with a company? Oh, for this, press this. Oh, for that, press this. And you have to, you know, you're pressing like 20 buttons before you ever get yeah. anybody on the phone. If you ever get anybody on the phone yep. or let's say social media, let's say you've been hacked. This happened to me. Can't get in touch with anybody. <laughs> can't get in touch with anybody. You know, their policies and procedures are designed around their own agenda to make them run more efficient, to make them more productive, but forget the customer experience. Yeah. Here's the thing. If you don't provide happy customer experience, somebody else will do it for you. So design your processes with the customer experience in mind. Make sure they're efficient, productive, and well-trained on. I mean, buyers will walk in say, give me your operations manual. Let me see your SOP checklist, your non-compete, your employee handbooks. And they, and they want all your ducks to be in a row. And if they're not, then they'll go buy another company. And one of the profit mistakes that business owners make is called embezzlement. It's called mm. embezzlement. I will tell you probably one out of three, one out of four companies that I've represented have been embezzled at some point because they put somebody in that seat, but they have no processes with checks and balances they don't inspect what they expect. They trust, but they don't verify. And then they wonder why somebody stole money from them. Mm. That's a huge oh, profit so mistake. And then, so you know, true. also not having efficient processes. That's a huge profit mistake. Yeah. And, I, and I've actually seen some business owners where they create, they hire certain employees. They like the employee so much that even though the employee may be not so great at completing the processes that are outlined, They'll create other processes around that employee, which puts them in the same pit again that they were in originally where all the processes are in your own head as the business owner. So having the processes be almost independent of the people is something where you can train the people so that even if people come and go or get promoted, they have that ability to systematize and say, oh, okay, you're just, just like with McDonald's. Okay, you're flipping burgers today. Like, here's how you do it. Flip, done. Flip, next. Flip, next. So that it it streamlines that process so that you're able to see it. And I love what you said about thinking of your processes with the customer in mind, Mm -hmm. of really designing those those customer experience processes and who's in charge of each of the steps. Like processes is one of my favorite things to talk about because it's none of, it's the thing that most business owners that especially come to, to me and that listen to this podcast, that they don't, they want to avoid like the plague because they started their business to have freedom, not to have these processes in place. Processes mean there's, there's no freedom. I'm like, actually, you don't fling yourself off a cliff expecting to fly to Hawaii. You get into a plane and a plane has a certain amount of processes that it takes to fly. It has a structure and it has systems in place so that you actually can land in your destination safely. Yep. So, what, so what would they don't be- like processes because they're entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs like to fly by the seat of their pants. <laughs> Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, so processes are huge. Um, the other processes will cost you so much money if they're not defined, especially if they create unhappy experiences. The other one, the fourth P, which is another big profit mistake, is proprietary. Proprietary mm-hmm. is the number one value driver. It can take you from a five multiple of EBITDA to maybe a six, seven, eight, even 10x. And most businesses are calculated of a multiple of EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. Anything under a million dollars in EBITDA is typically under a five multiple. Anything over is over a five multiple typically. 
But if you have these proprietary assets, it will cost you more money. Well, you'll sell your business for more. If you don't protect your proprietary assets, you'll lose a lot of money. Number one is branding. How well branded are you? The more well branded you are, the more I can sell your company for, as long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumer. If you have a blockbuster, nobody's paying any money for blockbuster, right? <laughs> so branding is huge. Trademarks are another one. Trademark your company name, your slogan, your logo, your podcast name. And don't just get a state trademark. That's the mistake the business owners make. You got to get that federal trademark because you could be in business for five, 10 years and all of a sudden receive a system assist letter in the mail that says you have to stop using that company name because somebody else owns the federal trademark. You never check. You, you don't own it. Many of my clients will go and hire attorneys, even though I tell them not to, they'll spend a bunch of money and they think the problem is going to go away, but it's not going to go away. And most times they lose. So they have to start all over. So make sure you protect all of your IP that's, that's unique to you with a federal trademark. We're selling a client, a company right now that has a lot of different products that they sell into different grocery, grocery retailers, retail chains mm -hmm. all across the United States. And they have probably about 12 different trademarks. Each product is exclusive to that retail chain. This one's exclusive to that retail chain. And they're all federally trademarked. And strategists and, buy and competitor buyers will pay more money for that business. So you just got to make sure you don't make that profit mistake and not protect your IP. Same thing with patents. You know, every time you watch Shark Tank, every single shark, do you have a patent on that? Do you have a patent pending? Do you have a utility patent? We sold a company for $18 million that was losing money, but they had 18 patents. So patents are very valuable. Contracts is another place where, where people lose money. Contracts are very valuable. Manufacturing, distribution, franchisor with franchisees, exclusive contracts. The most valuable of all of those client contracts, especially if they have reoccurring revenue, if they have a subscription model. But the problem with contracts, the caveat to that is most business owners forget to put the two cents of transferability clause that says mm. this contract is transfer to the new entity. So 99.9% .9 of all sales are asset sales. If the buyer refuses to do a stock sale, and many will refuse to do a stock sale, and the clients won't sign the transfer agreement at the time of sale, then your deal could literally fall apart. So mm. that's why it's important to read Exit Rich now so you can cross your T's, dot your I's, and make sure that you do all these things ahead of time. The other big thing is databases. You know, face, look, you can lose money as long as you have a big database with lots of users that can be repurposed and retargeted. We can sell it for you. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp, and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money. They were losing money big time, and, but they had a billion users. So they had that synergy. So proprietary is all about identifying those synergies that competitors and strategics will outbid everybody else on and mm -hmm. pay more, way more than what the business appraises for. And then celebrity endorsements are huge. We're working with a client that has a celebrity endorsement. You know, Oprah, everybody wants Oprah. <laughs> Everybody wants to get their products and services in front of Oprah. So celebrity endorsements, radio personalities that do endorsements are big because they really can endorse only one type of industry at a time. Like they can only do one diet company at a time. You know, you're not going to hear them on the radio talking about 20 different diet companies. Same thing with all of my e-commerce businesses. You know, if you can go get the number one or the top three position on Amazon, Etsy, Wayfair, you're golden. We can sell that business yep. for for top, top, top dollar. So those are your proprietary assets that you really want to build and make sure you protect yourself so you're not losing profits. You're not making that profit mistake. Uh, here's where else people lose money. Patrons, you already said it. 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your clients. You lose a client, you're in big trouble. We were selling a media company, marketing, advertising, media company. They have five clients, only five. And we yeah. were selling them in the $10 million range. Well, they had casinos. So they had the biggest five casinos in the U.S. And those were their clients. They lost two during the process. <laughs> so we ended up not being able to sell them. We had to merge them with another company. So customer concentration is the death of a business and the death of a sale. We're selling another business right now that has 70% customer concentration. And every buyer's telling us, no, 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 no. We're going to find that one buyer that's going to tell us yes. But you really want to have customer diversification, not customer concentration, because that's another profit mistake. You know, putting all your customers, all, all your business in, in that 20%. Right. Yep. 
And then profit yeah. is the last one. So profit is the last P. And I always say the reason profits last is because if you're not, if you're not operating all these five P's, you're going to lose profits. Clients come to me all the time and say, Michelle, I have a profit problem. I'm like, no, you have a people problem or you have a process problem. They don't have a profit problem. It's profit's not the problem. It's a symptom of not mm -hmm. having these other things. And even if you have revenue coming in and you might, you might get lucky and you might have revenue coming in for a while, but it's not sustainable. It will crash. It will crash if you don't build this infrastructure on these six P's. And I love what you said about the casino client that you had where they had five clients. Cause I see that with even smaller businesses, mm -hmm. you know, coaches and health consultants and doctors who have like, they have their five private clients and that is bringing in some income. And if they've got, they've got that, but if they lost even one, suddenly it creates this massive rift and challenge in their business that they then have to like scurry to make up. So yeah. for all of our, our listeners, I just want you to listen as to how you can translate these lessons into your own business. Even if you don't have a multi-million dollar business, these lessons are and, and P's are so valuable to be that if you are able to successfully translate them into your business, you will be able to see a direct growth because of that. Because- mm -hmm especially with streamlining your processes, figuring out your people situation and getting over that whole entrepreneur control freak thing and being able to really have that own your proprietary information and figure out your profit and, and be able to, to work these keys into your business. So Michelle, I would love to know, when did you get to the point where you were like, this is something that I do really well. Like, when did you claim your power on like, this is your skill set to be able to support and navigate the world of business and business owners to be able to exit rich? Well, I've been doing, so, you know, before selling companies, I did franchise sales, franchise consulting and franchise development. And then because all, a lot of my buyers are like, I don't want to buy a franchise. <laughs> you have a business. I'm like, no, but I'm going to. <laughs> so that's when I started my, my M&A practice. And, you know, I've been in business 20 years. I've done a thousand transactions. Um, I personally have sold over 500, but I've worked on so many businesses. I've met with so many business owners. I've done so many evaluations. I think it's hard, it's hard to say exactly when did I own my power because I also own many different businesses. You know, at any given time, I have five to 10 businesses I'm building to sell. So I look at my own businesses and go, okay, these, you know, this is what we have to do. This is infrastructure we have to put in. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in. It doesn't matter how big or small the business is. Like you said, you know, these are, these are principles that apply to every industry and every size. And um, when did I own the power? I, I don't know. I mean, I've been doing it 20 years. I've been in the trenches 20 years. You know, I, I think just mapping it out. Because when I wrote Sell Your Business, that was really just a blueprint to sell. And then I'm really thinking to myself, God, these people need to know how to build it <laughs> before they can sell it. They need to fix and grow and build. And then we can sell so I would say several years ago. Amazing. So I would love to wrap this up with a little bit of rapid fire. Are you open to that? Sure. As long as we can tell your listeners where they can get Exit Rich. Of course, of course. And all the <laughs> links to, to work with Michelle, if you want to work with Michelle and her team to buy the book, all of those links will be in the descriptions below so that you can easily and effortlessly click them. I highly recommend that you do and that you do the assessment that she she gives you in the book to be able to work through for your business. So we'll absolutely give you a chance to plug yourself at the end. So are you ready? Yes. Who is your favorite female character in a book or a movie and why? Oh my gosh, that's a tough one. Female character in a book or a movie. I don't know. Wonder Woman. <laughs> Any reason in particular? I mean, because she does it all. <laughs> my husband always calls me Wonder Woman, you know, because I do it all. Plus, I have a child. <laughs> awesome. So I say Wonder my Woman. My husband calls me Wonder Woman as well. Wonder Woman. Well, there you go. We have two good men. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. two good men. So what would you define to be your kingdom? However you take that metaphor. My kingdom. I don't know. You know, maybe my <laughs> clients or my kingdom. You know, I, I feel like. My client, well, my family, 
but my, my clients are really so important to me. You know, it's mm -hmm. why I do what I do. You know, it breaks my heart to see businesses close their doors. And, you know, these baby boomers have made huge sacrifices along the way and poured their heart, their soul, their energy, their money and efforts. You know, many of them never taken a vacation. Many of them never been to their schools, you know, to kids' events or plays or soccer events, et cetera. So I, th I think that is, you know, that's why I do what I do. Otherwise, I would have retired by now. <laughs> Yeah, you have to love it. 20 years in, like, there is a passion and a purpose there. What, if you were to have your success at twice the speed, what would you have done differently 20 years ago? I would have got a mentor much earlier. Yeah, I never really had a support. You know, I never really had a mentor, except for my husband. I do say my husband is my hero. But other than my husband, I never really had a mentor early on. And I, and I think everybody should get a mentor, but get the right mentor. You know, get somebody... Don't get someone who just talks about it. Get someone who's actually done it. Get someone who's actually been down your road that you want to travel. So they've already made the mistakes and you can learn from them and shorten the learning curve dramatically. And I think that's how you really speed up success is, is aligning yourself with the right mentor, the right network. And um, that relationship capital is everything. I couldn't agree more. I think even if that mentor is just a few steps ahead of you, there's still a few steps ahead. You want them to be as ahead of you. You don't want to get a mentor behind you. Oh, no, not behind you. But like, <laughs> instead of having it be someone who's who's like quantum leaps ahead of you, yeah. having someone who's just a few steps ahead can also be just as valuable. Yeah, it, it needs to change at different levels because, you know, if you have a, a $10 million business and you want to grow to a $20 million business and a 50, then a hundred, you need different mentors along the way because what you did for a $10 million business is not what you're going to do for a $50 million business. So, you know, they always say when a student is ready to teach your peers, but you just need that mentor at the levels that, that you're approaching. I love that you pointed that out because it's a different version of us, the different identity that's required of every single next level. Um, mm -hmm. One of my favorite quotes is what got you here will not get you there. Mm, that's a book. Yeah. Right. That's a book too. I believe it. I believe it's a book too. Yeah. Uh, Marshall Goldsmith, I think. Yeah. That's a book. Um, yeah. yeah. Lastly, how do you crown yourself? I let my husband do that for me. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, really, I don't really crown myself. I think that if you do a really good job, for your clients and, you know, for your employees, I think that they will crown you. Does that make sense? Oh, I love that. I love that. I came home to, when I say I came home, I was in Tampa speaking at a conference and doing a book signing and then in Miami and I, and for my birthday, when I came home, they had an entire conference room full of balloons. They gave me a beautiful plaque that said Exit Rich New York Times bestseller <laughs> and all kinds of things. So I get my crowning moments from those experiences. That's amazing. It's amazing. And so please, Michelle, plug, where, where can we get this New York Times bestselling book, Exit Rich? How can we learn how to build a business with you or build it to sell it and share away? Sure. So first and foremost, Exit Rich. You can buy Exit Rich at Amazon. And the difference is you can buy it on Amazon. However, if you buy it at exitrichbook.com, it's less expensive. <laughs> Plus, so for $24.79, we'll, we'll email you the digital download immediately because the book comes out in June. So if you want to start reading it today, buy it today and you'll have it in your email within minutes. Plus, we'll ship the hardcover to anyone in the United States. Outside the United States, you have to pay extra for shipping, but you know, that's, you guys know that, right? <laughs> and then we give you a lifetime membership and <laughs> we give you a member, a lifetime membership into the exit rich book club, where there's a lot more video training of me doing this type of educational content, but there's also documents. So documents that you need to run your business, um, org charts, example, policy and procedure manuals, non-competes, employee handbooks, Documents to sell your business, sample purchase agreement, sample letter of intent, sample due diligence checklist, closing docs. Documents to run and sell your business are there for your review and your download. 
Those documents will cost you over $25,000 if you went to an attorney to get them to recreate it. So for $24.79, not only are you getting Exit Rich and all the golden nuggets that come with it, you're getting all the documents that you can utilize. Plus, we're giving a 30-day free membership into Club CEOs. And this is an entrepreneurial mastermind where we ask those transformational questions. We help business owners pivot. So they really can build a sustainable, scalable, and when they're ready, sellable business. And then all of your listeners can text Michelle to 888-526-5750. And all of my social media pop up. I encourage everyone to follow me. Also connect with me on LinkedIn. And plus all my websites are there. My other main website is silertucker.com. And so the phone number's there. They can, they can text me. They can call us. They can call my company and, um, and go from there. Amazing. That is an incredible amount of value for just purchasing the book. Like blew my mind, the amount of value that you can get for $24.97. Is that what you said? Yeah. $24 and 79 cents. That the ability to have access to all of those documents, contexts, and processes is worth the value of the book 10,000 times over. Like Michelle said, it would cost you a lot of money to get. And you know what's great too about the book? I forgot to mention that Sharon Lecter is my co author. Sharon Lecter wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. Sharon Lecter is a five time best, as five times New York Times best selling author. Uh, and she's written several books in a Think and Grow Rich Napoleon Health Foundation. And plus, she's a CPA, financial literacy expert, and the advisor to many different presidents. So she writes the Mentor's Corner after every single chapter. Plus, Steve Forbes have, has endorsed the book. So has Kevin Harrington, the original Shark on Shark Tank. He wrote the foreword. We have Les Brown, Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen, Brian Tracy, you know, Tom Hopkins. These are some really big names of um, uh, Brad Sugars, who has traction. So these are some really, really big names that have supported Exit Rich. Oh, Michelle, I am so excited to see what this book does for you and your mission and your ability to help business owners really profit and have the procedures in place to exit their business rich and really actually have the freedom that they desire to have which is why we all build businesses in the first place, not to have, be a slave to a job for 24 seven for another 20 years, but to be able to really lean into that mission and lean into the ability to, of what our business will give to us as well as, as mothers, as community members and, and the value of that. And so I highly, highly recommend everyone go out and get Exit Rich. The link is in the comments below, especially the link to Michelle's website to get in on all of the extra goodies, you are going to want to get those if you are serious about growing and sustaining and building and even exiting your business at some point. So with that being said, as always, my fellow sovereigns, own your throne, mind your business because your reign is now. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If what you heard resonated with you, be sure to subscribe and share your breakthroughs and ahas with me by leaving a review on iTunes so I can keep the magic flowing your way. And if you aren't already following us on social media, come experience the extra inspiration and queenly convos on Instagram at crownyourselfnow or visit our website at crownyourself.com. I am so excited to connect with you in the next episode. And in the meantime, go out there and create a body, business, and life that rules.